0: Hello and welcome to the 12th episode of Guido Talks. Don't forget that if you don't want to look at us and our lovely new haircuts, then you can always listen wherever you normally get your podcasts from. Check out all of the different links on the Guido Forks website. My name's Tom Harwood and I'm joined again today by Guido Forks founder and editor Paul Staines as well as reporter Christian Cowgie and this is Guido Talks, the show where we go through our favourite stories of the last seven days and chat about a bit more about them in depth. So uh, without further ado let's get stuck straight in. One of our most read stories this week didn't actually uh, pop up all over the media elsewhere but it was very interesting because it focused on four members of parliament who were found to have broken the rules during the election. Um, can you uh, tell us a little bit about the first story that kicked us off, the first MP or I should say former MP that we found out had been fined? Yes, well this
1: one uh, came first because we were actually uh, leaked the contents of the Uh, Commissioner's findings before the other MPs were made public but this relates to Laura Pidcock the former you know cheerleader of Corbynism who spectacularly managed to lose a rock-solid Labour seat in uh, northwest Durham at the election. Uh, She was fined nearly four grand uh, for misusing uh, MPs resources, MPs stationery um, in trying to sway the results of the election and even £4,000 worth of cheating at the taxpayer's expense couldn't save her seats to Mr Richard Holden. Um, But there were also three other MPs, Tom. There were indeed, and the
0: Parliamentary uh, Commissioner for Standards uh, released the reports on these uh, four in total, three more on top of Bidcock MPs, who uh, were actually fined for their misuse of stationery of second-class stamps and of official letterhead paper where they put out um, basically election literature under the guise of normal communication with constituents. And the other three MPs were uh, Zach Goldsmith, uh, George Freeman, and the Labour MP Daniel Zeichner. Um, And the Daniel Zeichner one particularly interests me because I received one of his letters, one of his election letters. I haven't lived in the constituency of Cambridge since before 2015, Um, but still he somehow had my name on file and um, sent along one of these letters that basically just read about how how much he was opposed to Brexit. I'm not sure it was that well targeted and didn't really do him any favours, not least (laughs) because I wasn't voting there. But if I was, I'm not sure I would have been more inclined to vote for him. But no, there were hundreds of letters sent out by him, hundreds of letters sent out also by uh, George Freeman and Zach Goldsmith and Laura (laughs) Bigfoot. So in this initial (laughs) wave of investigation, uh, that there was be fine.
1: There were 13,000 sent out by Zach Goldsmith, who had a whopping nine grand uh, fine from the commissioner's office. I'm sure he won't struggle to pay it, but that's a hell of a, an amount to be whacked with.
2: It has to be said, this dodge has uh, been going on for, I was going to say years, but probably decades, and now it's kind of industrialized. They'll find an the excuse, which will be um, a survey. Uh, Your MP is interested in your views, and they'll do this throughout the course of the Parliament, they're interested in your views on anything, and they they have software to do this. So, on the crossing outside the school in the constituency. And once they do that, they then have an excuse to email you, and the clever ones will always relate to something local, but the the unsophisticated ones will misuse it near an election and get caught, particularly if they say something partisan rather than something that's more constituency-based. Mm. It's it's a way of them uh, stretching the budget at the taxpayer's expense and getting underneath the budget for election, the limitations of the election budget. Uh, Absolutely. Got, this I, think, is... I think they're getting more active on catching it because I can't remember, and there's a few more coming down the line, I think you said, I can't remember when the 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 Parliamentary Commission has been this uh, rigorous
0: Mm. I mean it is very very normal practice to do this during um, a parliamentary term you'll see lots more letters um, are sent than need to one of the very usual things that I think just about every MP does now is send a letter uh, a birthday letter of congratulations that you've turned 18 to every constituent that turns 18 now of course that's getting the name out there and 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 people will think oh what a thoughtful MP sending a birthday card to uh, any constituent but of course that's the sort of thing um, that goes on all the time during the course of a parliament. What is particularly wrong in this case is it was during the Purda period, during the long long campaign and the short campaign uh, where these letters were sent. And that is what has caught them out and meant that they've had to pay these fines. But moving on from that story to uh, the big dominant story this week of the mini budget. I think it was officially called the summer economic statement, or something to that effect, um, whereby Rishi Sunak unwailed, un- unveiled a, another, uh, I think, £30 billion package of uh, rescue measures for the economy. But Paul, can you talk us through a little bit of the most important measures that went on there?
2: What's it was it you, Tom, or Christian, who calculated that that was £1.2 billion a minute that he gave away. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. You know, a billion here, a billion there, you've seen talking about real big money, aren't you? Um, the key th- uh, things that came out of it were uh, the eat out, sorry, help out, to, eat out to help out. It sounds like a uh, lesbian porno offer, but is actually a scheme where you're going to get your uh, uh, restaurant meal paid for 50% up to £10 per head. And there are... Questions about whether you could go from one restaurant to another for courses, so you could spend £60 and get uh, the taxpayers to stump up the £30 of it. Uh, I think that's going to be quite an effort, but I can see if you're on a budget, you might as well take advantage of it. The other um, things that came out where we had more news about the tapering of um, the furlough scheme, which is obviously going to be necessary, and... um, we also heard about uh, new payment plans for, if you're going to hire someone under 25. Um, so if I'm looking to hire uh, a replacement for any of you two, I could get it paid for by the government um, <laughs> to, up to minimum wage, which sounds like an excellent idea. So what's your spots. Um, uh, there are other offers all designed really to try and wean people off the the rather generous packages we've got already and signalling that uh, there is trouble ahead on the employment front.
0: Yeah and it seemed like this was relatively well received by pre- particularly sort of the right-wing think tank world in Westminster. One of the biggest measures that had the most support from the policy wonk side of things was the, was the raising of the threshold for that stamp duty up to half a million pounds whereby people would pay no stamp duty. And uh, one former SPAD told me that one of the reasons why people are so excited about this is because although it's um, advertised as being temporary, the last time that stamp duty was raised, I think to £150,000 in 2008, they said that that would be a one-year temporary thing and it never went away. It's one of those taxes that it's very hard to reimpose once you've taken it away. And so by... Quite a few people's estimations. This may well be a permanent change, which will really help to uh, lubricate the housing market uh, and get people buying and selling again.
2: I, I have never seen this. a tax cut that I haven't liked. Although I did notice that, you know, if we go on about the red wall. How many houses in those red wall constituencies actually are going at half a million pounds and would have any stamp duty on them anyway at this juncture? Look, I, I think it's a great thing. I think stamp duty is a vicious tax. And I wondered about the targeting of well, yeah, I, th- I think there's, because there's, it's
0: because a- it's the ceiling, right? It's it, I mean any house that is over the previous ceiling will feel the benefit of this, even if it's a two hundred thousand pound house. There will be now no stamp duty, whereas there would have been a bit before. So it does help even the lower down, even the lower levels, which is something that Caroline Lucas did not understand. Where she was, I think she sent out a tweet saying, "Where's the help for the three hundred thousand pound houses?" Forgetting that if a ceiling is raised <laughs> to five hundred thousand pounds, that also
1: includes every every pound and penny below
2: that
1: there is this this tipsy topsy thing that's happened now which is that we have a conservative chancellor who is you know sort of spraying money at whole sectors and labor are now coming out and their main line of attack after the the mini budget has been no it it needs to be more focused so whether it's the thousand pounds for returning a furloughed worker and there are concerns about uh, a lot of that money is going to go to companies that always have plans to return furloughed workers and the same I think one of the stories this morning that the Labour press office put out was that uh, a lot of this stamp duty thing could go to people with second holiday homes Um, this sort of topsy-turvy world we now live in where Labour are concerned about jobs and targeting public spending, you know, <laughs> seemingly more than a Conservative chance.
2: I, for one, welcome Labour's new fiscal hawkishness. But I'm a little <laughs> bit sceptical that they're just doing opposition for the opposition's sake. I do think that there is a question about whether that £1,000 bounty for keeping people on is actually going to make any difference. And it's just a giveaway to, if you're going to get rid of someone, you're going to get rid of them. And if you're going to keep them you're going to keep them so i don't understand how a 1000 pound changes that dynamic and it just seems a free giveaway for, to people that 1000 pounds
0: i think a lot of it is because this is only running it's, it's if you keep someone through to january so i think the, the treasury is sort of making a bit of a gamble here trying to hope that by the time we get into the new year, most of the uh, well, most of the economy has opened back up again and people are getting back to normal and spending back at normal levels. And so trying to just give that little nudge, that incentive for firms to sort of weather the storm for a further few more months until people are up back and spending at relatively normal levels, um, that's the sort of gamble that they've taken. But of course, it could be the case. That we get to january we've had a second wave over winter, everything got locked down again, and we're in deeper problems uh, for the country and then in that case, the thousand pound giveaway to these companies would do absolutely nothing at all
1: and there's a similar question over whether uh, the the whole uh, you know eat out to help out scheme that was the big headline leader but according to polling, the reason people aren't going to restaurants it's not because they're worried they can't afford it. because they're worried about the safety aspect. And there could be an argument to be made that if Rishi at his Wagamama's photo shoot after the mini budget had been seen wearing a face mask and there was a bigger push at government to wear face masks and encourage public safety, that would do more to get restaurants and bars back up and running again than a 50% off meal voucher.
2: Yeah, that did seem an uncharacteristic slip-up by them. He should have had the mask on, but then I suspect he could have been seen to be chatting to the uh, to the uh, people he was serving. It, did I see something that he has actually done waitering before? Uh, he when has he was younger. I think when to, he was at to university pay he had a for summer him.
1: job. No, it was
2: actually to pay for some of his uh,
1: fees at Winchester. Um, <laughs> back when his parents were were quite uh, lower middle class and couldn't uh, struggling to afford the fees. I'm not sure
0: Northern it's the most lower-middle-class
1: lower <laughs> thing to go to Winchester College. Uh, and maybe that's why he hasn't whipped out the anecdote so much. It always it that he went you to a two went court. to
2: minor public schools. <laughs> <laughs> he
1: missed out on a scholarship. It was a life of hardship and graft, <laughs> And he turned very well. It's not—it's not quite the son
0: of a bus driver backstory that Sajid Javid has. That's putting it mildly.
1: Um,
0: but no. But one of the things about Rishi Sunak um, as a as a politician is he's um, almost unique in the cabinet, I think, in being praised by people. On the left, not so much for his political worldview, more for what he looks like. And the phrase dishy rishi has been doing the rounds in just about every paper, and and surprisingly, amongst the sort of trotsap Corbyn adjacent outriders um, within that uh, Labour sphere of of commentary. Um, And and you had everyone from you know the navara media types and owen jones saying that uh rishi sunak is an attractive politician and you have this kind of objectifying of the chancellor that i don't think would carry much uh would, would not really wash if it was uh, with a female politician at
1: all well let's not forget adam bolton also asking whether his package was big enough
2: <laughs> steady steady I, I think um he's just he's just slim and under and 40 isn't he so most politicians aren't slim and 40 i, I, I mean he's not my type but i think he's good looking i don't i don't it's i'm not going to uh, just he's, he's his, also he's also features. got he he
1: does have a an air of confidence about him i mean he uploaded a photo of him wearing a hoodie working from home and I, I can't say i've seen a politician wear a hoodie with you know, such a, a level of coolness about them that as Rishi, but you know. But he did he did also upload a photo when the pubs reopened, saying it's great that the
0: pubs have reopened, standing in front of what looked like a kettle shop. So he does seem to be a bit um you know gung ho about the photo opportunities.
2: Listen, I'm not saying he's Ed Miliband, but uh, he's not he's not uh he's not he's not um he's not Rob <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's just I think there's something a bit nerdy about him as well,
1: you know I'd, I'd be I'd be very worried actually, if I were Rishi that I was going to peak too soon because I think the brightest stars have a tendency of burning out where at least five years away probably a lot more from a leadership election and he's got years of, of you know, hard economic decisions ahead of him and his Uh, star power is going to fall pretty quickly at some point.
2: Yeah, I I mean, he's not quite, is he he polling, not quite reached uh, Gordon Brown's uh, highest level of polling positive rating? Or Nick Cleggs. (laughs) Or Nick Nick Cleggs. Uh, Yeah, that's a very good point, Christian. He's going to be in tough times, I suspect, next year. And then I doubt he'll be so popular. Hmm. There was an interesting
0: poll from YouGov this week that asked, that sort of showed um, where the previously most popular politicians in the country are now. So Rishi is currently the most popular politician in the country. But at one point, so was Theresa May. So was Nick Clegg. So was Gordon Brown and seeing, and and so was Tony Blair. And so was William Hague, I saw was, was one of the peculiar ones. I didn't realize that at one point he was the most popular politician in the country. Um, but all of these people were, and they have significantly slipped down since, um, But I think probably it's time to move on from discussing Rishi and his package and moving towards uh, the Labour Party's response, which seems to have been incredibly muddled this week, um, starting with their proposals, or were they not proposals, for a wealth tax
1: on homes and savings? Christian, can you talk us through this? Yes. So uh, on the Sunday shows, we have the Shadow Chancellor, Annalise Dodds, who was on Andrew Marr. And he, she was asked four times whether Labour supported a wealth tax. And she ummed and aahed and basically tried avoiding the question. And then uh, the next, day, I think it was, Keir Starmer went on LBC and was asked the same question. And he um, more uh, you know, unequivocally said, yes, we would back a wealth tax. And then the night before the mini budget, we had Labour come out saying they were now supporting no taxes, no tax rises as a response to coronavirus. Uh, They want to grow the economy rather than tax it, which is again, uh, you know, things have completely flipped around uh, for Labour there. Uh, So that was a that was a pretty impressive, you know, three day wealth tax from you know from umming and awring to say we're going to support one say we're not going to support one um mm. and i think people may have been left pretty confused by that but then of
0: course on uh, wednesday night you had uh, the party flip flop again when another uh, minister in the shadow treasury or shadow minister I should say um, came out and said in response to a story in the Times that they had uh, ditched plans for a wealth tax saying no we are supporting the efforts to research a wealth tax and, and pointed to um, research efforts from I think the LSE and Warwick University that are saying that a wealth tax would be really great and whatever and, and so it seems that the, Labor, that the wealth tax is back on as Labour... I, I think that now. gives the game away
2: that they are, they are serious about it because they're in garden who was the shadow minister who, So he's the financial, shadow financial secretary. It would be his kind of job in the government to uh, do the details on this. So they clearly are trying to figure out how to do it. Shocker, it, I would not be totally surprised to see the Tories do something similar. They won't go after pensions and they probably won't go after mansions or houses, but they will look to find some kind of asset tax if they can because Otherwise, we're going to have a massively ballooning deficit, and they have promised not to put up NI income tax or something else. What was the other third one they wouldn't put up? They ah, promised VAT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you can't but, do any of those, but but this what isn't
0: a do? normal this isn't a normal recession. We keep forgetting. You know, this is this is a recession that was brought about because the government literally told people to stop trading and to close down their businesses, and so. In, in many ways, when we might well, if we have a V-shaped recovery, we might well not have a deficit after this. We'll have a lot of debt, but it will be sort of all in the past. We won't. If we get if we get back up to uh, the level um, the economy so was before, you, pretty quickly. I will bet you
2: quite a lot of money we will have a deficit. I
0: mean, <laughs> I mean, no! I mean, I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not denying that. I'm just that. saying. I'm just saying that we, we, might not have the same, we might not have a deficit that touches 10% of GDP as we did back in 2010. It might well be something slightly different. Yes, there'll be some scarring, but depending on how sharp the V is, it's not going to behave like a normal recession. So there might not be the same um, re- economic response to the recession that you might expect.
2: Well, um, Eleven years after the global financial crisis, they still had a recession. A recession that they promised to get rid of in 2015, 2020. So I I don't think they're serious about it. Well no the deficit
0: fit within the uh, uh fiscal rules um right from the from from 2018 I think it was that it, it it got down below um that 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 target that uh, is sort of manageable and and that even a fiscal hawk like uh Sajid Javid would would support. Um but <laughs> it's because he
2: was shadow chancellor and he was, he was the chancellor so I got the shadow. He was he was he was bullshitting. <laughs> well, no, no, but now, but now he's, I mean, there was that
0: big, there was that big fight before the election um, about the manifesto that Sajid Javid actually won. And there's some speculation that it's the reason why he was kicked out as chancellor, because he was really adamant that those fiscal rules were included in the Tory manifesto and he won that battle and the fiscal rules are there. So there's only a limited amount of uh, budget deficit in normal times that can be acceptable. Obviously we're in extraordinary times now, but we're getting back to normal times. Yeah, but you've got, can, uh, can, can you just clarify something,
2: Tom, for the readers and the viewers and the listeners? Have you actually applied for that job of uh, doing the Downing Street live <laughs> briefings? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. No. No. <laughs> It's just I mean, have got this offer on that I can hire someone twenty five and under uh, and get the other half paid. for <laughs> probably not a bad time for me. Oh I
0: I hate to break this to, to you, Paul, but whoever whoever um gets the job, the government's gonna pay for all of it. Or rather I should say for that. <laughs> <government pays. laughs> okay. Uh,
2: okay.
0: No, but um, I mean, moving on from Treasury tax policy, there was an announcement uh, with regard to BBC tax policy this week. Uh, Paul, can you take us through what happened officially?
2: Yes, so they are... um, Osborne, quite cunningly, when they were renegotiating the charter and the budget for the BBC a few years ago, uh, stuck the BBC well, you say you stuck them with the bill for the over-75s. There is no bill. They choose the bill, people. So um, said that the government wasn't going to subsidise the over-75s, another bit of generosity from Gordon Brown, on the licence fee, the teletax. Uh, and the BBC said, great, fine, took the inflation plus um, boost to their budget and has moaned ever since about the millions that they aren't getting from uh old age pensioners and you know if you're 75 and you've been paying the teletax since you were you know at college you have paid 7500 pounds i think that's more than enough uh for it anyway so the bbc has said they're going to uh, reinstigate collecting the money we asked the press office are they going to prosecute over 75 they gave an evasive answer they never said yes i suspect if you are over 75 don't worry about it. They are not going to have headlines where Granny goes to jail um, for not paying TV licence fee. And the more people that do it, the bigger the civil dooms The more difficult it would be for them to collect. Um, and we did another. We did another piece, which is something I've banged on about for, for years. Netflix didn't exist when, um, in the form it is now, when the Ayer player was pretty much ahead of its time in technology-wise, which is easy to do when you've got a river, a tsunami of tele funding coming towards you, which you can spend on R&D. And they had the chance to use their backup to launch live streaming all over the world. They didn't. They had some abortive deal with ITV, which was ruled to be anti-competitive, quite rightly. Um, and Netflix now has revenues of 20 billion dollars, you know, 17 billion pounds. And the BBC has revenues of $5 billion. If the BBC hadn't been so addicted to the licence fee, they could have now become the global media um, goliath that Netflix is and not be dependent on extorting Granny and threatening her with jail for their funding.
0: Yeah, it does seem that they, they, they might not have entirely missed the moment. If- BBC figures didn't get so defensive over this idea that uniquely they're a service that has to be funded by a tax backed up by the threat of prison if people don't pay it, if they opened themselves up to genuine competition and and did innovative stuff like that, like becoming that global streaming service that they could have been and could still be potentially, um, then there's, There's no doubt in my mind that they would have less financial troubles because they'd open up themselves not just from a market of potentially 65 million taxpayers in the UK, but of nine billion potential customers across the whole world it just seems bizarre that they don't pursue a more market-orientated strategy and then we wouldn't really care if Gary Lineker no. was being paid one and a half million pounds a year or whatever it is because it wouldn't be coming
2: out of our taxes it's not too late I mean people forget Amazon Prime Video which is uh, billions in revenue as well only launched in 2016. Disney only launched uh, this year, didn't it? I know, they're, they're streaming off it. Yeah. it is not too late to get in the game. The consumers globally are attuned to it, expect to pay for their live streaming, and live streaming, if it's priced right, isn't worth pirating. You get uh, a much better co- quality if you actually pay the bill. The British public constitutes 1% of the world's uh, population. There is 99% of the world out there for the BBC, half of which understand English. So it's a big marketplace. Get out there, BBC. You know, think about your stock options if you're a private sector company. You'll be rich, rich beyond your wildest dreams. Threatening granny with jail.
0: Yeah, I think I think we're all in broad agreement for that. So for a policy position, that's that's quite good getting getting the ideological um, array of Guido Fawkes on board. Congratulations. Um, But no, let's let's move on for a moment from the media back to politics, um, because, of course, there is a leadership election rolling on at the moment. You might not notice it by looking at things that are important but no the Liberal Democrats are actually in the middle of a contest to elect a new leader and Kelgi, you've been looking for looking through some of the candidates um, um, declarations of of funding Uh, what's been going on there?
1: Yes I mean everyone is enthralled 24 hours with the ongoing Liberal Democrat leadership election and The money is uh, rolling in. Literally thousands of pounds are being spent. And yes, you're right. I've been looking through the candidates' declared spending, uh, according to Parliament. And uh, last week, Leila Moran was ahead, uh, primarily bankrolled, quite bizarrely, uh, by European uh, royalty, or some might say fake royalty. I'm I'm not a history buff, but that's quite... Uh, bizarre, but then uh, Sir Ed Davey massively overtook, is now uh, out earned by three times what Leila Moran has. And uh, we discovered that uh, uh, a lot of that uh, over over the last 1000 pounds has come from Chris and Tina Lee, uh, who own uh, one of the world's largest jet rental. Their charter companies. This is a man who's running very much on a green platform. And we also discovered that uh, five grand of it has come from the new British head of Huawei. Uh, so it's quite a, a, an interesting, might say, uh, dodgy list of recipients. And if I were a Lib Dem member, I'd be a bit worried about um, what these sources of income indicate for party policy under Ed Davey interesting I have to say, I'm,
2: I'm, I think from the point of view of uh, stories and uh, g- what, which would be good best for trade for us I think Lena Moran's got to be the one but is is, is Ed really going to win is I mean the bookies have a slight favorite he says he's gonna get 60% of the vote we tweeted that last <laughs> night by mistake I think 60% of the nominations which is hardly surprising given is this his second or third time? I can't remember running for leader. So he should have all the contact data in his um, database already.
0: Yeah, well, well, we'll keep an eagle eye over that race. Um, but there was, there was something else that happened this week that um, I was quite pleased by, of course, which it seemed that um, during PMQs, so rowing all the way back to even before the uh, fiscal statement, uh, which seems like a world away. Um, but, but Boris had a new taunt for Sakir Starmer. Um, He calls him Captain Hindsight, which is something that this website has been calling uh, Sakir for the last month or so with regard to his constant um, proclamations on what should have been done about coronavirus, whether we should have locked down earlier or we should have done this, we should have done that. He has all of these suggestions now that curiously he never brought up at the time. Um, So that um, South Park reference is what we have been using uh, for Keir Starmer, and Boris Johnson brought it up in PMQs today, showing that uh, he might well be still a reader of the blog.
2: (laughs) No comment. (laughs) Um,
1: I think... Certainly my favourite story of the week, possibly the funniest story of the week, was a massive election upset, which Britain has got used to now, but this was the victory of a former Spad, Tufton Street, familiar James Price winning the uh, Oxford Union presidential election. Uh, A great guy who only really entered the race as something to keep him occupied uh, during lockdown and actually was only really able to win it because of coronavirus the Oxford Union removed the i think it's a 25 mile radius limit on people being able to vote and he he stormed the election and for the first time in the union's 197 year history I think it is uh, we now have a former student who is going to be uh, taking helm uh, a very sound guy obviously there's been a lot of calls uh, uh, for social change at Oxford. We've seen the roads must fall um, uh, people. Uh, we, ha- we were talking with James and he's maybe indicated that he will be in favour of one statue coming down at Oxford Union, uh, that of Michael Hesseltine, which uh, has pride <laughs> of place uh, in the debating chamber. So we'll, we'll watch his tenureship of, uh, of the Oxford Union with uh, an eagle eye.
0: No, it's very good to see someone who's going to definitely stand as a bastion of free speech and open debate. That's something that is important, and of course, um, the Oxford Union is an internationally renowned institution. So, massive, massive congratulations to James. Uh, Thoroughly well deserved. Um, But that is just about all that we have time for this week. We have rattled through this. Um, So, thank you so much for sticking with us as we discussed those stories, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks for watching.
2: Cheers. Bye.